Welcome to Engineering Experience, where engineering thought leaders share insight on how to deliver results, manage outsourcing, find the right engineering partners, maximize experience, generate engineering documents, and come out with smarter and improved products through innovation and invention. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Engineering Experience, a podcast by Paragon Innovations. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Folks, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the podcast. If you'd like to listen to previous and upcoming episodes, make sure that you are subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find it by looking up Engineering Experience. Uh, You can also find our podcast other content, and more information about our services on our website at paragoninnovations.com. On today's episode of Engineering Experience, we're unpacking why startups and why supporting startups is more critical than ever for the economy and beyond. The economy in general is still reeling from this pandemic, and businesses of all sizes have been struggling to adapt, and startups are no different. But as we'll come to learn in our conversation today, they're just as important and just as necessary for a stable, holistic economy as their larger and more established counterparts. So we'll be honing into one organization and its support for science and engineering-based startups to draw our insights and better understand how industry can support startups, especially while market outlook remains nebulous for basically every industry. I'm joined today by three guests. We've got Mike Wilkinson, CEO of Paragon Innovations, and Lene Scroggins and Chris Scotty, vice chair and chair, respectively, of Texas A&M's new ventures competition with the Texas A&M Engineering Experiment Station. Welcome, Mike, Lene, and Chris. How's everyone doing today? Doing good. Great. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Excited to see things starting to open back up in Texas. Yes, yes. It's definitely uh, still tumultuous around here. Cases still still going up around Texas. So, you know, it's definitely uh, definitely uncertain. Uh, I'm still working from home, but, you know, I think we're getting getting some businesses opening up soon, and it's definitely – I don't know. It's definitely a, a strange time still, even though we are seeing some return to normalcy. But I agree. I am looking forward to a slow trickle. So, folks, I'm excited to get into this conversation and uh, unpack all your insights on this. I want to start here. Uh, these questions are mostly for Lene and Chris. Mike, feel free to chime in with any thoughts. But this is direct from y'all's website. So the Texas A&M New Ventures Competition, or TNVC, is aimed at promoting the commercialization of emerging technology and recognizing companies with high growth potential, as well as providing seed funding to help them effectively execute their ideas and advance their product development. That's just some context for our audience. So, Lene and Chris, why would you say that the work you're doing with this competition is important, uh, not only for startups at large, but also startups within STEM fields? Sure. You know, our goal of this competition is to really try and help these companies at a stage in any economic alignment where they're vulnerable and needing outside support. You know, I, I've started a company before and you know, I imagine a lot of the listeners are, are, have as well. So, you know, at this early, that kind of nation stage where you're just getting going, you don't have any cash flow really yet. 
you're looking towards maybe getting some investment funding or maybe you're between grants uh, or those grant funds you have are restricted, um, we really step in to try and give a, a catalyst, if you will, to try and help get those companies over that hump. Um, we also try to identify the most likely to succeed, the ones that we should keep a watch on as, uh, as service providers and investors in the state of Texas. I'd also like to underscore that this is about promoting technology startups throughout the state of Texas. I don't want the viewers, just because we're part of the A&M system and experiment station, I want everybody to understand that our competition is a statewide competition. It's not exclusive to the A&M system. Mm. So why bring a competition like this to Texas? What are the dynamics that uh, you see in the state that you want to support, as well as uh, opportunities that aren't being tapped into in the state that you hope this competition um, can breathe some life into? So this competition is actually modeled off of one that our founder had seen on the West Coast. Um, and there's some similar ones on both coasts, but there's very little like this in middle America. And it, to be real clear, what makes this unique is that it is an open venture competition. This isn't a pitch competition. It's not a business plan competition. Um, and it's not purely a technology competition. It's the whole package. Um, and really, the, what we're, we're modeling ourselves after, and, the, and these other ones on the coast are modeled after, is the idea of angel investment networks. So if you think about investors, they're not just looking at one piece. They're not necessarily looking at just that um, investment uh, opportunity in terms of the technology. They want to see the right team, or at least the plan for the right team. They want to see the right market. They want to see the right deal terms, for that matter. And we really encourage our competitors to prepare a pitch with that in mind. Even if they aren't quite ready for investment, we want them to act like they are. Uh, so it, it, it not only gives them an opportunity to actually pitch for real money, but it's giving them a real world experience with, in many cases, much freer feedback that they can get from our, our investor judges so that they can uh, do better long term. That's that catalyst I was talking about earlier. We're trying to help them directly through the competition and then in their subsequent efforts. So let's broaden it out a little bit now. Uh, the pandemic is still raging strong. Um, we are seeing some states like Texas reopen, uh, but several states in the U.S. are still projected to be locked up through July, um, maybe even pushing into the fall, depending on where the peaks are at. So... How is this impacting uh, funding and logistical variables for uh, taking a startup to market? And has this changed the dynamic for startups that are already seeking funding or uh, folks that are maybe looking to launch one fresh and need a place to start? So something interesting that I saw in the run-up to the competition this year, which almost directly mirrored the, the shutdown process that happened with COVID-19 um, was that, hey, all these, these, these businesses around town, the businesses around the state were ramping down or shutting down. Um, in the meantime, Lene and I are doing all this outreach to um, these startup companies that we regularly do. 
And it not only was not slowing down, but there was actually less dropout than we would normally see. Uh, we have we often, you know, we reach out to 100 plus companies as part of this process to identify the final few in the competition. And usually we have some dropouts along the way. This year we had zero, right, Lene? Correct. So, you know, we didn't ended up with none that actually dropped out. And in fact, in interacting with these folks, they are still operating as normal, right? So these aren't businesses with open stores or cash flow. In many, in many cases, they don't even have supply chains identified yet. So they're operating in their homes or small offices as individual or very small teams. Most of them are working remotely already. So the impact of the pandemic, while very personal, I'm sure it's affecting their personal lives. It, 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 from what we saw, it is not affecting them at the stage we're serving them which I think is a really unique thing. And I tried to point it out on a couple of economic development um, related interactions that I had with other, other groups that this group of startups that we're serving may be one of the most resilient groups out there or the, the least affected from a business perspective. Now, long-term, when you start talking about needs for investment and starting to ramp up supply chains, I do think there are going to be some effects. But the actual immediate effects to the groups that we're serving is far less from my perspective. Specifically this year, um, and there we always have, there's always a crop every year that are, you know, I mean, they're just a microcosm of society just like everybody else. And there's always some real eager beavers. You can tell that they're very excited to be selected. But this year I, I seemed to be um, a little bit stronger their their want and their need and their excitement to compete was palpable really i haven't had quite as much conversation in the previous years with teams and when i say conversation it could even be just over email and text messages it doesn't necessarily have to be over the phone because again we're all working at home but the the thank yous in advance and the thank yous we've had afterwards from these companies because we continued the competition and we were able to pivot in a couple of months and go from three to 400 people in the football field, um, box suites at A&M, to pivot to a 100% virtual competition. Everybody is pitching from their home offices or maybe a small office is really quite a feat. And they were so excited that we were committed enough to the economy of the state of Texas and helping them that we were willing to put in the extra work to see if we could deliver the program. So I, I have an interesting perspective in that, Brent, when this started, we had our regular Aggie Angel Network investor meetings scheduled out and uh, we ended up doing those virtually. And so at first, our first meeting, we actually limited the number of people that we talked to and, and, and presented at our meeting because um, of all the kind of change and doing it virtually. But then, because it went well, our group has decided to uh, have some investor meetings in the summer, which we usually don't have. We take summer off, but um, and I think most groups in Texas do that. But in this case, we're going to do more. So actually, it's going to expand because of the pandemic to investment opportunities during during the, the summer uh, because we, we've discovered we can do it virtually, and it, and it seems to work. And of course, with DNBC competition, the Ag Angel Network gave a prize as usual, and uh, we're including today uh, doing the 
due diligence documents and stuff. So we're, we're full speed ahead. And we're thrilled to hear that from our end because that's the exact type of activity that we're hoping will stay strong. Those are the next steps for many of the companies that we we touch and interact with in the competition. They're going to be going to angel networks. In fact, it's one of the reasons why TNDC and Aggie Angel Network and then the Greater Alliance of Texas Angel Networks is so important to us and will matter just the same as in previous years this year. So seeing that activity stay strong is extremely important to us and our competitors. And to add to that, I think the pandemic uh, has also been revealing... I guess the important inter-industry dynamics that keep different industries afloat, uh, really highlighting maybe some of the fragile relationships that support business in certain industries, highlighting some of the really uh, stable core relationships that are uh, resilient and are surviving during this pandemic. Uh, Do you think the pandemic has revealed whether startups are a critical piece of that dynamic for keeping uh, the economy stable uh, across different industries? Why or why not? You know, this is a situation that none of us have ever gone through before. I mean, so it's kind of hard. I think we'll have a lot better view of this in in the rearview mirror, you know, six months, a year, five years from now, that type of thing. But I can compare it back to something interesting that I experienced in my own startup. Um, And that's, you know, when 9-11, Twin Towers fell, my company was kind of just getting off the ground and needed resources and capital and needed customers for sure. We needed them to be willing to spend money. It was an IT services firm. So we had regular, we needed regular business. And when the immediate aftermath occurred, where everybody was kind of like tighten up your purse strings, it, uh, it directed us. We really struggled to the tune of having to max out credit cards and leverage some you know, financial instruments that were probably not the best way uh, to deal with it. But at the same time, we were able to reach out to entrepreneurial support organizations like the Small Business Development Center um, and our local economic development organization to try and help us through that time, both through advice and actual effort and planning effort. And we got through it. And that demonstrated something to me. And, and, and really, the, the ecosystem itself has matured since then in a way that now there's these these diverse networks of entrepreneurial support organizations that include universities and their commercialization efforts, which is um, who our organization is hosted by at Texas A&M University System. But it's also who refers us a lot of these best competitors, these accelerators and incubators around the state of Texas, these university commercialization offices and their associated incubators and accelerators, as well as the small business development centers around the state. So really, this ecosystem has matured to a point where those resources are ready at hand and certainly did not slow down um, during this situation. In many cases, they, they sped up and were even in higher demand during the situation. I wanted to, I, I agree completely with what Chris was saying and going back to talking about persistence and resilience, entrepreneurship and, and a startup, especially when you're in a, a high technology, deep technology interest, industry is certainly not for the faint of heart and them being able to continue their perseverance and their work 
even during this time, I think is going to bode well for how they come out of this in the future because it seems to be part of their nature to even be doing this in the first place. Now, if you're a medical startup or, or um, in that type of a healthcare industry, this is really an exciting time for you, even if it's a frightening time, because there's so many things that need to be um, taken care of and, and maybe we're gonna be changing some of the ways we live, at least temporarily. So I think that the resilience of these startups, I think they were resilient before. I think that the cream is floating to the top during this time of year and the most during this time of our lives in this pandemic because the most resilient ones are the ones that are hanging in there and wanting to thrive and move forward. I want to point out that some of our competitors, some of the folks that we've been interacting with, you know, over the last three months, actually pivoted and took into account the market changes that have come along with the, the, the pandemic. For instance, um, one of our one of our competitors, and I'm gonna I'm gonna totally uh, mutilate his pitch, but I'm going to try to give you mine in as best as I can. They basically had a filter and absorption material that was going to be used um, to clean up uh, oil and petroleum products in boats. And then, uh, you know, they had other applications for it. But they realized that, this, that the pH level of this filter killed the coronavirus. And meanwhile, we're going through this mask shortage, um, at least the right types of masks. And they realized that they could quickly pivot using their filters to be used to make mask materials. And they did that and ended up doing extremely well in the competition, uh, what I think is because of that pivot. If they hadn't, they would have probably gotten lost in some of the mix where we had other companies, many uh, healthcare related to begin with, that brought you know, a perspective um, and recognized the, the unique needs of the healthcare industry during this time. So I'm excited to see these companies, these very nimble companies at this stage, be able to pivot and take both the market conditions and the market demands, you know, the needs uh, of society into account and quickly modify their businesses so that they'll be the most successful. Let's hone in even further now. I want to speak to the industry that uh, the TNVC supports. So uh, these startups are specifically aimed at science and engineering startups. Why is support needed, in y'all's opinion, for startups in science and engineering and uh, broadly STEM fields in general? You know, I'm gonna make a, I'm gonna make a remark here that probably would, uh, would get me in trouble with my employer a little bit. Um, I'm going to call them out uh, anyway, because historically, universities, research institutions, which are populated by academics and really smart people around specific technologies, have done an absolutely terrible job at translating those things or even pursuing research that actually matters to the market. All right. We all know the ecosystems. Think Austin, for example, and the great ecosystem that they have around um, apps and software and IP products, okay? So, you know, they they do a great job at supporting those. There's lots of incubators and acceleration programs that support, are great for, for those types of startups. But in science and engineering, the needs are fairly different. For one, you've got inventors that are, that are laser focused on this, the technology, but don't think much about the business in the market, at least historically. Plus the fact that most of these startups are capital intensive. So think a medical device 
well, they're going to have to support their business for you know, seven to 10 years, 15 years even in some cases, before they get through regulatory approval, all the, all the clinical and preclinical testing that has to be done. So uh, they're going to need support during that period from investors and grant sources that, uh, you know, other uh, less capital intensive startups like, um, you know, like service businesses or, or software, purely software plays need. And that's where organizations like TNDC step in. Um, we're trying to fill that gap and recognize and catalyze that process of providing capital and providing the connections to capital that are so crucial to what we call deep technology businesses, science and technology-based startups that usually have some type of intellectual property play and definitely have a basis in, you know, what you and I might think of as a, as a lab type production. It can be things like software, but it's usually not, you know, hey, this great user interface. It's it's about um, the algorithms and the novel um, computing and, and programming that goes in behind the scenes that takes real experts around whatever that that solution is. What I find interesting about new companies launching in STEM fields is that even though there isn't, like you were saying, Chris, a, a deep support network, these are still clearly popular ideas and technologies uh, that are being conceived and at least attempted to be brought to market. Why would you say there are still so many major roadblocks, especially in finding funding, for launching a startup in the STEM space versus maybe other business ventures, especially when tech startups are still estimated to be in the millions each year? It doesn't mean every single one is successful, but there are plenty of ideas swirling around. Would you say it's market forces, individual forces? What are those dynamics? You know, there's a lot of variables that go into, you know, or different types of hurdles that, that startups go through. But the, the big difference to me is if you look at, you know, what I call simpler startups, and I don't mean that in a negative way. In some ways, it's positive. But if you think about like a software startup, purely software play an app, your path to, to market, your path to, to um, revenue is much shorter than a deeply complex startup that has to go through tons of, you know, prototypes and testing. So from a investor standpoint, when you look at someone, oh, they produce this thing and it's either producing some early revenue, even if they're not profitable around that revenue, but they're producing some revenue or here's a product that I can actually put my hands on. We're just you know, looking for customers, right? That's easier for, for your traditional investor to understand. Um, whereas a, a technology that needs a ton of R&D before it can actually get to market, um, something that is is game changing in a way that might be a, a total change to the way you do something like a new battery chemistry or a new um, medical device that's going to require significant ramp up and education of your customer. That's harder for um, an investor, um, I think, to engage in because they have to think about a much longer um, uh, path to an ROI. Now. The flip side of this is that the, the types of startups that we're talking about supporting here have the have a much higher um, potential ROI or, or, or multiple to the investment because the growth opportunity is, is so much larger. Still fraught with risk, still longer, but the actual return potential can be higher. 
I'm curious to hear what Mike has to say about that because, you know, he is the the investor in this case. I wonder if he agrees with me. I, I actually agree. So right now, investments, you know, I think investors always look for something that's unique and different. And and whenever there's a downtime or some some negative thing in the in the economy, whether it be nine eleven or this pandemic, uh, it's an opportunity to find things that will solve problems that that pandemic or that situation you know uh, occurs. You know, so you know when nine eleven happened, we we got the, the outcome of that was FirstNet, which was AT and T's basically private LTE network for. Uh, first responders, so they would never have their calls jammed, or I say jammed, but you know, not have a way to make a phone call with their cellular because everybody else is on the phone. And now, you know, what can we do in this pandemic, whether it's change that filter material from oil and gas to masks? You know, is there anything else we can do to look forward for another pandemic or our other situation? And so, the, those kind of investments that that become available are great opportunities for for us to invest in and, and whatnot. All right. I want to wrap by getting some advice then from y'all on what has worked. And I want to pull from uh, the several years of, I guess, tangible data, you can say, uh, from the uh, competition that Texas A&M puts on. So after six years of data on supporting technical startups and seeing their trajectory post-competition, what can y'all say about uh, what works and what doesn't in leading to success for a STEM-based startup. Uh, and we can get into some specifics, but just generally, what are some of those main points of advice? You know, the data behind our competition um, was not actually an initial goal, but we realized that we really had a treasure trove here of information in these different applications that we're taking um, from all these companies every year where we can look at things, look at characteristics like team or types of funding sources, um, industries uh, served, uh, lots of different things we can look at and are looking at. And so what we've started to do is look, at, look for characteristics of the companies in the overall applicant pool versus our semifinalist pool, then versus our finalist pool, going into the competition and then post-competition. And we've got some neat, neat metrics you, you can go look at in detail on our, on our website. But one that I, I'll highlight, uh, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll mention two. One of our previous themes, one of the things that we recognized was that almost all, all right, in fact, well, the year we originally looked at it, it was all of the finalists that year had support from some type of entrepreneurial support organization, meaning they emerged from a university or community or industry-led incubator or accelerator, just a mentor-driven program. So they all had done that. None of them had done it entirely by themselves. So that's a crucial thing that we've turned into a piece of advice or a best practice that we now spread. Um, it also is a key selling point for our ESO partners out there um, throughout the state. Uh, another piece that we highlighted um, uh, in this past year was um, the idea of team diversity. And I don't mean that in, the, in perhaps the, the traditional sense of demographic diversity. I mean it in terms of diversity of, of viewpoints and experience. And this is especially critical in science and engineering-based startups because, like I said earlier, you've got this really smart PhD-level person that, that has been working on their baby, working on their technology for 20 years, but yet has um, no idea how to run a business 
how to talk to a bank or an investor, how to hire a salesperson, how to manage a salesperson for that matter. At least generally speaking, there are diamonds or you know people that can do this, but they're very rare. So what you have to do is develop a very diverse team. And the companies that do the best in our competition, do the best in front of angel investors for that matter, are the ones that come up with not only a recognition of this, but also, you know, hey, they're starting to fill these these team gaps, recognizing where their weaknesses are and where their strategic hires need to be using the funds that they get from a competition or from investors. So they have to admit it. And that team diversity metric that we can now provide, and I regularly use this when I'm talking to faculty members, because they know, they, they like numbers. And if I can go to them and tell them that 90 plus percent of the companies that are successful uh, that, that we see in our ecosystem have a diverse team, not just a scientist, not just a business guy. They have a, a team that represents a diversity of experience. They are much more likely to be successful. They love to see that in a, in a quantitative format rather than just a, hey, you don't know this and need to hire somebody or, or give away part of your business in order to be successful. They'd much rather see it um, numerically. So my answer is, is pretty straightforward and straight to the numbers. As an investor, if I look at 10 deals or invest in 10 deals, I'm likely to get one home run, a couple of other ones with first, second base, and the rest are, are failures. And so those, those odds aren't that great. If I go to TNVC events and I have data and data shows that over year after year, they have this high success rate, why would I not want to go there and pick the winners of that, let them do all the effectively quick due diligence and whichever the winner there is, I have a higher probability that that's going to be success in my portfolio. So, wow, there's, there's the people that are pre-doing the, the deal due diligence and finding the right deals for wh however way they get to it. In the end, the results show that's where I need to put my money. What Chris and Mike are, are talking about this due diligence, I have only been with TMVC now for, I don't know, on the fringe and then involved now for about three years. And the due diligence process that we go through with these applicants all the way from submission to whittling it down into an actual pool of competitors is something that I've never seen at other competitions. I have taken student science teams to other competitions. Our competition isn't students, but for our applications to actually be screened by business people, by subject matter experts that are PhDs in the field, we put together a diverse team also, just like we expect our competitors to have a diverse team. We put a diverse team together and analyze every application. And that is the start of these cream floating to the top. So I think not only their diverse team helps, but our diverse team does as well. All right, that does it for today's episode of Engineering Experience. Thank you all so much for joining us. Again, we were joined by Mike Wilkinson, Chris Scotty, and Lene Scroggins, all of them giving us some insights on the Texas A&M New Ventures competition, how it's supporting STEM-based startups, and the place of startups amid this pandemic. Again, Chris, Mike, Lene, thank you all so much for joining us. We appreciate you having us, um, Daniel and Mike. You guys uh, put together something unique here, and we're glad to be a part of it. Thanks so much. We appreciate being part of this. Thanks for having me. 
And if folks want to find out a little bit more about uh, the Texas A&M New Ventures competition, where can they go online? They go to Texas NVC, so New Ventures Competition, TexasNVC.org. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Engineering Experience, a podcast by Paragon Innovations. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure you find the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and hit that subscribe button. You can also find our podcast and other pieces of content on our website, paragoninnovations.com. And make sure you're leaving a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.